This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly episode 155. Almost 20. Okay, Jay, you remember how last episode I talked about how I had a weekend where I ended up not really getting to do gaming, but I had no kids around and no responsibilities and it was very nice? I remember nothing. But just in general. I'll take your word, though, sure. Okay, so you're using some excellent interview technique to, to set me up for my story here, Jay. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. So so this last weekend, I had the exact opposite of that. For reasons that are depressing, Katie had to go out of town, and so she was gone Friday through Monday over this long weekend, and I had both of the kids to myself, which... Again, means no gaming and a lot less relaxing and being lacking in responsibilities. So I like the first one better. Yeah. But one thing that was in common about both of these is that is that I continued my third and presumably final playthrough of Mass Effect, Mass Effect Trilogy, because that's something I can still do after the kids go to bed and I'm all tired. So... One of the things I'm doing with this third playthrough is that I actually wanted to have the the romance with Ashley because when you get to Mass Effect 3, really the... Her character model is actually standable? Oh! (laughs) Well, the romance options, the ones that have the best Mass Effect 3, I think, are Caden and Ashley because they actually have some character continuity development to them well even if you don't have a romance there's actually ongoing stuff with those characters about how they rejected you in mass effect 2 whereas everybody else for the romance thing like maybe just because you have so many permutations for what you might have done throughout the trilogy it's basically like here's one scene and then nothing else that the character does really has anything to do with that you just walk along, you come to a magical point where you can be like, yes, Liara, I want to be that kind of buddy, and then you (laughs) are. What I wanted to do was the thing where you you start out with one of them in Mass Effect 1, where you then cheat on them, and I don't know if it, I guess cheat on them in Mass Effect 2, it doesn't really seem like cheating on them, because they're not there, and when you meet them, they tell you to shove off. But anyhow. Be sure to explain that to your wife. Honey, you were out of town. (laughs) This was the second game. <laughs> but when you, you actually meet them early in the game, and they hate you, it doesn't feel like you're going out anymore. Anyhow, and then you can get back together in three, but you have to go through the whole, but you cheated on me thing, and so on and so forth. I've failed to do this so far, because my first time through with Bro Shep, I went with Leora, because she seemed more interesting than Ashley Williams. My second time through with with FemShep, I failed to have an actual romance (laughs) in episode two. So Caden is still all, oh, you were faithful to me, and that was great. I'm like, I 
Yep, that, that was, was that was I, it. I was totally faithful. It wasn't that I was, you know, busy saving the galaxy and there wasn't anybody interesting. Faithful, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> Save your feelings. It turns out I was just too much of a jerk to the other characters to uh So so in in, in this playthrough yep. uh, so in in uh in this playthrough I said, Okay, we're gonna do the Ashley Williams romance and then and then move on through it, but and and that is what I'm doing, but it's like I have to to bite my tongue as I'm doing this because I'd forgotten how awful Ashley in a, in Mass Effect One is. She's such a racist. Yep. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh man, really? This is the one I have to pick? Really? Uh, I mean, all the romances are a little hackneyed, but whatever. Okay. So that was the completely off-topic segment. Hopefully. What are you talking about? That was the topic segment. Now we're going to go off topic. Now we go, yes. This is Strange Assembly, your Chris Rambles About a Video Game podcast. But we're going to go off topic and pretend that we're Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. Boring. If I'm sitting at the table while I'm playing Mass Effect, does it count? Anyhow. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It turns out that when the toddler eats very, very, very slowly in her high chair... You actually can carry on a conversation in Mass Effect and feed her at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so, I swear we're a tabletop gaming podcast. I am Chris Stevenson. The gentleman who is not making my life any easier is Jay Earl. Hello. And what we're mostly going to be talking about today is Legend of the Five Rings. And although, obviously, I did not get to play any of that over the last two weekends, we did have Legend of the Five Rings World Championships over the weekend. There was a big presentation there. They've now previewed the strongholds from the early 2015 base set or big set or whatever. Whatever they're calling it these days. Yeah, I don't think that there's a difference. Branding. I assume it's it's not a, what, 500, 400, 7, 800 card, however many, whatever. Well, it's... 372, I believe, because the strongholds are numbered. Ooh. If you look on imperialassembly.com. Somebody's, somebody's looking much more closely than I am. So I think it's the same size that Ivory Edition was. And it's got strongholds, just like Ivory Edition. I, I don't know in what way it is different. I thought maybe it was going to be a bit smaller or something, but as far as I can tell, it's just another big set. Yeah, there, there's just going to be a big set every year. But there was the banning and non-banning of things and so once they banned things there was a little bit of kvetching from some people who had not wanted things banned and then most of the complaining turned to we wanted this band too we wanted this band too and whether or not brian reese's explanation of why things weren't banned or errated was acceptable right but there were a couple of things i wanted to mention before we got into that sort of meat of stuff and uh, they both have to do with uh, the RPG uh, one well I guess one is sort of the RPG but that is really important for other reasons one is that this winter they're doing winter court for the online play by post if you don't know about it already you're too late they've already picked everybody I participated in two or three I decided that I just do not have the time it's fun but doing it right quote unquote right in my opinion just consumes Lots and lots of time that I, I don't have. Come on, you've already said you could do it while you are feeding your daughter. 
Uh, <laughs> not really. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because if you go, the, the website address is wintercourt.l5r.com. And if you go in the out-of-character information section, there is a lengthy discussion about the progressive and traditionalist ideologies and specific ways that the clans might relate to those. And we're not going to talk about the specific details of, of what's going on in there, at least not this time. But I wanted to mention that because if you're interested in the story, interested in what's going on in the story and what it really means to have these supporting the progressives, supporting the traditionalists, Shibatsu, Seiken, whatever, this, I think, is a far, far more extensive discussion than anything you will ever find in a story or be that a, a weekly fiction, whatever, or monthly fictions. Hey, <coughs> fiction. On the forums, it is a lot more information that is being presented for these for the, the players who are going to be playing these characters than you would get elsewhere. So I would I would highly recommend if that sort of thing interests you, going and, and checking that out on on wintercourt.l5r.com. The other thing that is more directly related to the RPG is I'm kind of curious what the status of the RPG is. I was kind of surprised at Gen Con to find brand new 4th edition stuff, like the most recent two books at a couple of vendors on their like half-off racks. And I think the release schedule for 2015 is a PDF slash print-on-demand product at the beginning of the year and something else later in the year. And that's not really the release schedule of of a vibrant game. So far, you've gotten about, what, one release a quarter, one physical release? So I'm curious about that. If anybody in the RPG team, you know, listens to this and wants to let me know, come on, talk to us about it. Here's your invitation. Chris will do a three-hour interview with you. I really know. <laughs> I you better you better be really interesting. Uh, no, 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 you're involved, so it'll be three hours. <laughs> was it unclear that was the joke I was making? No. Hey, I've done fifteen-minute interviews. I've done half-hour interviews. Thank you very much. Were you actually on those interviews? Yes. Maybe the reason why these episodes <laughs> go so long is because we have to spend so much time with you making fun of me. Did you ever think of that, Jay? I'll be quiet. Okay. So, I think the most noteworthy non-Arata band, to go back to that before we get into the stuff that, that got announced at Worlds, was Victory Through Deference. So... You're a Phoenix Clan player. I think that means you were contractually obligated to hate victory through deference. Boo! Did you yeah. want to, to weigh in on why you think they should or should not have done something to the card they just released? It is an interesting question that just that Shugenja is such a very different keyword from most other keywords. I don't know that it necessarily deserves ooh special magical treatment, but it definitely it definitely is high up in the target space for effective keywords. Then again, I saw some discussion where people people complaining about wanting the card gone and other people were like, Oh well it whirled. Yeah, I played it a lot, but I wasn't I hit Shugenja like maybe twice, so 
I think on the one hand there is a whole lot of overreaction. On the other hand, it does just shut down a unit fairly effectively, which not a lot of other cards are doing. So, well, I don't know. This is one I was on the side of not doing something about victory through deference. Now, let me be clear. I do think that victory through deference is not a fantastic card, shall we say, on the design front, just because you really shouldn't have cards that do a lot of different things and that also are cantrips for one. Yeah, I mean, I I think really (laughs) what it comes down to is not... It's way too much of a silver bullet card, and silver bullet cards are not good. Yeah, so it is stronger against Shugenja than other than it is against other keywords. Although it, it messes with all sorts of other stuff. Putting on a Kensei doesn't make his weapon fall off, but it prevents you from doing anything that says Kensei or but I think the the big thing that seemed to put it over the top in people's targets as, oh my god, this card must be stopped, was that it hurts Shugenja, and Phoenix are bad, therefore we're not allowed to have meta against Shugenja. That's not how it works. No, no, no. I mean, that's... No, no, I, well, I'm not saying you you were saying that. Right. But that happens. Like, if Honor is really bad, and they print an event that is meta against Honor, people will go like, oh my god, what's wrong with them? Why are they trying to destroy Honor when it's already terrible? Well, that's not how it works. You print meta against everything. If Thing X is bad, the meta just won't get played. No, I agree. I I, I think the problem is, if you're looking at this as Shugenja meta, it's not very good. Yeah, it's not specifically aimed at Shugenja. I mean, the, right. the most problematic thing about it Shugenja-wise, is that it's a card that's going to be played a bunch, and so we'll have splash damage on Shugenja, but you don't usually ban or errata a card because it is good against one deck or right, another. No. I, I think the only close to legitimate argument for errating it was the idea of a technical errata of if they had intended it to not affect Shugenja. But I think that is projecting way too much of people's ideas onto Brian and playtest of what they thought that card was going to be. I don't know. Maybe it, at one point in playtest did not affect Shugenja and it got changed at the last minute. Who knows? But that again, that's the closest to a legitimate argument I've heard, and that's not a very good argument. So, Yeah, it does make you wonder just given the number of kind of technical errata that I haven't issued, even though this doesn't have anything to do with Ivory, the Ivory rules changes. It makes you wonder whether or not they noticed that it was going to stop already equipped spells from working. And and to be clear, I mean, it functions, even if if, if it's intended to stop spells from working or, or not, it only shuts down one spell if you only have one spell on the guy. You're only getting mass bombed by it if you have some sort of super unit with right. multiple if, spells attached on it, in which right. case... If you've already foolishly been putting all of your eggs in one Shugenja, in which case you're going to lose anyway. Well, maybe it's not foolish. There are certainly places where you want to have super units, but it's also good to have meta against super units. Right. It reminds me of there was this more specific weird thing that happened with Guidance in War, 
which involves the same sort of rules as as victory through deference does, which is guidance in war has the invest that gives a bunch of traits to the guy. And then it has the text that the invest effects last while it remains attached to the Shugenja. So the question was asked, well, if you remove Shugenja, does the guy get to keep them? And the original answer was, yes, he does, because when it says the Shugenja, it just means this personality. Right, it's a self-referential. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if you remove the keyword that's being referenced, it still happens, who cares? Then somebody asked the same question right before Worlds, and they got an answer, which was the exact opposite, which was, well, it does go away because the rules specifically say that for spells, any benefit of the spell goes away if the personality stops to be a Shugenja. So it's still self-referencing, but that doesn't matter because this other rule trumps it. And then that ruling, which I think is correct... Yeah, it is. It's another knock against spells in general, but that's not what we're arguing about. Well, but that ruling then got rescinded for Worlds because the second rules team member had, I think, unintentionally reversed the first rule team's member without consulting. Right. Two days before Worlds, so they, the rules team then went and said, oh no, it's going to stand by the ruling we gave two months ago. And that, not that they say this, I think the subtext of that is even though it wasn't the correct ruling. Yeah. <laughs> and so, if the rules team, after the spell is released, and spells are released, and this has all been a topic of discussion, is still not getting this bang on right away, that could lead one to conclude that maybe the victory through deference interaction wasn't noticed, or they got confused because they already knew that it was changing for 20 festivals, but I guess we can stop calling it Ivory 2 now. Right. Anyhow, so victory and deference was everywhere at Worlds, at least as far as I can tell. Obviously, we weren't there. On the other hand, a Shugenja deck won, helped along by Guidance in War, which was not nuked because of that ruling hanging out there. So the winning deck, we we have a few of the top decks, including the winning deck, up on the website strangeassembly.com that will link to the original place where the winner winner posted it which is unicornclan.com if you want to go look on the unicorn forums even if you look at the list on our site click through you can see what the discussion that is being had about the deck and the winner of that was and I apologize Bartolome Trobak I must admit that I I sometimes have some difficulty with the Polish names so he was the, the world champion He won with a Unicorn Shugenja Blitz deck. Unicorn were very good over the weekend, but I think some of the most noteworthy stuff was that some of the bad factions actually did okay. You didn't, Jay. The Phoenix were not present and were terrible. But second place was the Spider deck. Cue all of the people saying Europe doesn't count. Well, eh, dumb people can say whatever they want. Pretty much, yeah. And I hope that that gets put up, because at least when I checked, it hadn't been yet. But I saw some people referring it to as basically an outlier or random thing, or like somebody getting lucky or just one player being really, really good. And I'm sure he was both lucky and good, because right. you, you, you have, have to be have both to. of those things to get to the finals of a tournament this big. Right, I mean, that's the thing. is Yes, of course he's lucky. You have to get lucky. That's part of being in the top bracket there, or being really high-ranked, is luck is some amount of factor. And also, 
he was individually good because you have to be that. But usually, if a deck is bad, it's not capable of making it there. Usually. So what that says to me is, hopefully, I mean, what I think is the case, that this guy actually came up with a spider deck in the line in the sand environment that is not bad. Maybe it's not great. Maybe it still has weaknesses and it was able to overcome those through player skill and or luck or, or whatever the combination of that was. I would say it's one of those things where you've got luck, deck uh, strength, and player strength. And basically you just need the sum of those to be high enough to be, you know, up there at the top brackets. So if maybe the deck is not the strongest deck out there and it's compensated for by higher player skill on the guy's part, but you just, the ridiculous amount of luck and player skill to get a bad deck up there is uh, not going to happen. Yeah, so like I said, ho- hopefully that means that there's there's more hope. Spider overall and, and then Crab did better just sort of making people in the cut that they had been doing. They were still a little bit below average, but Spider and Crab were like 5 and 6 or something like that. You know, around 20-18%. The average is like 22%, but it was, you know, Scorp Phoenix was like 5% or something ridiculous like that. Right. And Crab won second chance with a Yasuki Dishonor deck uh, with the new Sensei. And Crab had been another clan that had been doing badly in Ivory Arc up to now. So I was glad to see both of those clans showing some more positive things. And I think we've we've already seen an acknowledgement when we talk about the strongholds that yeah, the unicorn boxes five production is probably just too good. Yeah. But so that was those worlds. So the unicorn won, and so they will get to name the regent. But then the the big thing that has generated discussion since then is that they had this sort of big presentation about what's going to be happening going forward, and I guess we're going to go over that, although I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that I feel like a lot of it is more of a, you have to wait and see how the execution is before you can really yeah. say anything. Right, and somebody pointed out to me that even if they've been working on some of some of these plans for a couple months, we're going to be deep into 2015 before we start really seeing the payoff of some of these things. Yeah, well, the concrete design things were all about, I think we're all about stuff that was coming in 20 festivals, so... Right. So just to do it in the sort of the order of their presentation, if you if you look online, the, the Sixth Ring, which in their website is sixthring.net, they had a nine and a half hour long Twitch stream, maybe? Yeah. From Worlds, and if you go to about the eight-hour mark, you can see the L5R brand team and, and Reese and then John Zinser, the CEO of the company, talking. It's a little hard to, to hear what they're saying, just because it's none of them are, like, mic'd for recording. But just to kind of go through things in the order that they did. The first thing that Zinser talked about was basically, for the first time, thanks in no small part to Love Letter, <laughs> he calls that out by name, <laughs> The non-L5R side of AEG is basically is financially self-sufficient, and so there should be enough cash to like sort of double down on investing back into L5R, including just hiring more people. So you have one brand manager going out, and you have another brand manager coming in. You also have a marketing guy coming in as I think a full-time position, and then you you know you still got 
the community guy, and I think they're going to bring in a part-time guy for a new bounty hunter sort of program. I think it's going to be called the Vanguard now, a demo program. Right. Didn't they announce that a couple months ago, that they were starting to take applications for it? Or am I making that up? Maybe they did, and I've just forgotten. Mm. So there's that. Then they talked about story, and this is probably, I don't know, is this the vaguest part of it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely vague. It's also, maybe it was just me, but it was kind of weird. Well, we realized a month ago that we had done the wrong thing, so we're going to change that. Yeah, the one thing that was a little odd was like, this is what we did wrong about the story prizes with this tournament you're at right now. Right. right. <laughs> and that was the most concrete thing, but the sort of the sort of vague thing was that it was supposed to be that we are going to give you more of an ability to influence things. We are going to, as they said, like embrace the fear. When you're making this, we might be afraid of what choices you guys might make, but instead of fighting that, we just have to embrace it and let you guys make the choices. And this is one of those things where like, it really matters more what their execution is. Sure. I never really felt like the problems with the story had to do with not giving players enough say. And when I hear embrace the fear, I'm, that just reminds me back to like, no, I don't want an elephant for Warlord. No. Your new emperor! Yeah, I, I don't know if they just mean ridiculous things like that, or I don't know, but when I sort of think about like, what, well, let's see, the Destroyer War went on too long and was just got really boring. Not just boring, but just repetitive, that it was just the same basic story over and over again. There was no variety. Yeah. There were a few years where, like, there was not a meta plot, as far as one could tell. Or, or like, right, the Race for the Throne, as much as I like the fact that we won, you kind of had this stretch of time where the clans were doing stuff that had nothing whatsoever to do with what the climax of the arc was. Yeah. Uh, and... None of that really has to do with the changes that they're making. It has to do with setting out a good framework more than it does for, like, how you let the players interact with that framework. With the framework, yeah. I don't know. But the other thing was giving people much more explicit information about what the consequences of story prizes were going to be. And the examples that they gave were basically Gen Con and Worlds this year. Like, well... We should have told you what this whole siege storyline meant, and that if you did this, the Naga might come back, and if you did that, they might not. We should have actually told you what you'd get to do as the regent, that we should stop trying to have these big surprise moments at the convention. Like, And now, oh, this isn't the example they gave, well, this is what it reminds me of. And now we ban Wrath of Kalima. Yeah. Because if you remember that one, that was the one where basically 90% of the internet was like, we don't believe you, Brian. <laughs> we don't think you banned it as a result of the tournament. We think that you banned it because it was revealed at the tournament that the card was just completely broken. Right. And you're using the easy excuse. Which was not at all an easy excuse. It would have been very easy to say we ban it. and by... So I... that's the sort of thing. The idea is you know what you're playing for. People can get more excited and enthused and involved and recruiting each other or helping each other whatnot in advance. Right, not just Dynasty. <laughs> when they know what the prize is going to be. And so, to some extent, that reminds me of almost a marketing thing. That isn't about changing what the story is. It's about getting people excited about the story. 
in advance. And I guess the big thing that I would like to see on that front is not just making things specific, but actually putting the story in a place where you know and care. Like the sort of things we've talked about with, with Gen Con, where this year with the traditionalist progressive thing, like the story has not advanced to a point where the result of active fighting would make sense. So get the story to a place where you actually can be really pumped about what the story prize is going to be. Right, and just specifically with that one, not just that the story is not developed enough for the conflict, but is it really developed enough to know, once that conflict starts, which side do you want to be on? <laughs> yeah, you, you would not know who you wanted to choose. I feel like... Even right now, a lot of people are sort of going spider, not spider, and that's all of their decision-making process on the air choice. When, if you really start paying attention, you do start seeing some much more interesting nuances between the two characters, but I don't know how well that's been doled out. There's more to it than that. Shibatsu is the spider guy. Seiken is the giant jerk. And Wait, what's the difference between spider guy and giant jerk again? Well, he the one guy hangs out with jerks. The other guy is a jerk. Right. I think you're seeing this starting to be rectified now that we have the traditionalist progressive thing. Yeah. But part of the problem was that really they were both defined by what were, except for spider players, mostly negatives. I would continue to say that is not as much of a negative as some people think, because one, it, it does actually get you an entire clan, and the entire player base is not actually anti-spider. There are certainly people who dislike the spider, dislike there are people who dislike other clans, and there are more people who dislike spider, I would imagine, than other sure, clans. Sure, no. It's more that you've got a vocal contingent that's anti-spider, so you have a vocal contingent that's anti saken you don't have a vocal contingent that's... I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't even feel like they're that vocal. Honestly, the greatest vocalizations of people hating the spider are probably spider players talking about how everybody hates the spider. Yeah. Just sort of preemptively. What are you talking about, Chris? Everybody hates the spider. Breeder is a horrible, horrible deck. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, sorry. I was sleeping for like three years there. <laughs> I think it was longer than three years. <laughs> Played this game too long, jeez. <laughs> but anyhow, so they gave that, that I, and actually that gave me a positive association with the whole more detail thing, but also a cautionary tale. The positive association it gave me is what I call the Lotus Edition chart, <laughs> which was this thing they had at Gen Con the year. It was the end of Diamond Dark, actually. Right. It was the fate of the five rings, and it was going to determine whether or not a clan achieved enlightenment or enlightenment was lost, and then it would be Dark Lotus instead of Lotus. And then the three possibilities for each clan was your clan won with a pure or... It could be pure or tainted, like which at that time that was strictly defined. So it was one to three Shadowlands cards. So you could be pure or tainted, and if your clan won, you would save enlightenment. There was a second column for your clan that was... If you lost in... If you won but were corrupt. If you won but were corrupt, yes. In which case, that would result in dark enlightenment. And then there was a third column. Wasn't that 
second place to a corrupted deck? Yes, yes. So your clan failed to stop the bad guys, and so a bad thing would happen to you. And of course, the the more likely one, I think, was that the first one would would come into play. But I mean, you could. I think this was when you could just automatically make yourself corrupt by playing with the Daigatsu Wind if you wanted. But they had this this whole big chart of pretty detailed of what the options were. Like Dragon was, if you failed the Empire, it, Hoshi came back down out of the heavens and wreaked vengeance on the Dragon for right. not living. I mean, like, well, I think my favorite was, if I remember correctly, the Dragon corrupt was you guys lost enlightenment but faked having it anyway. Yes. Whereas the Scorpion Pure was, you guys found enlightenment but faked losing it. You are correct, sir. Which which was great. Just such a, you know, exactly how those, the two different clans would uh, deal with that. Yeah. So I loved that chart. The, the clan that eventually won, C- Crane won, Dragon got second. It was a tainted win. So... So somebody ate... To Tori. Uh, yes, yes. I, Tori the third. Well, that, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm glad that it got eaten because I kind of despise the notion of literally unique, one-of-a-kind, tournament-playable cards, which is what... Anyhow. So the Crane won, and their option for winning was pick a clan, you are allies for them, this will last. Now, that actually did happen. The Crane picked Lion, and the Lion and the Crane have basically been friendly ever since. They have not gone back and frayed that. I mean, the Lion and the Crane spent a thousand years hating each other. And But the other part of it was what? The Crane become the Enlightened Clan. Do you know what that meant? They got a really, really bad stronghold. That is correct. It meant nothing except they got Prosperous Plain City, which has got to be in the competition for worst strongholds of all time. Uh, and what was it? Reaction when you put a ring into play, gain three honor? That sounds right. It was atrocious. So you've got to execute. And so execution, I think, is what I am looking for. How do they execute these sorts of ideas? Reese came on and talked about design things. Let's start with the, the most specific thing, which is that there is now a, a new version of, le- of a legacy holding. For those who were not playing back in the day, the old legacy holdings were... Correct me if I'm misrecalling, Jay. At the end of a turn, if you had not bought any holdings that turn, you could bow your stronghold, search through your deck, and put the legacy holding into play. So basically, you just always did that on your first turn? Right. Even if you had gold in your provinces, you went fetch fetched the legacy, and then, hey, you have gold for turn two now. Yeah, and there, there were several different versions of those. Cold Seed of Power. Yes, I was going to say it mostly worked out okay, although Seed of Power was really... Seed of Power was a a legacy holding that lets you redirect away from, like, your clan champion or family daimyo, I think. So it would be like, oh, now I can never kill Shagatai, thanks. Nope. He called on dibs. And there were several different versions of those. That was just the most annoying one. We went through that and Gifts and Favors and a Favor Returned and all these other different starting, and then Border Keep and then Baby Harvesters and, and all that stuff. So, the legacy holding, right now there's just the one, I think. That is my understanding as well, yes. And it's called Forgotten Legacy. It's a three for three. And what it's intended to be is a gold smoother, so that it reduces the chances of you getting gold screwed. So, but it's not free, so it's a three for three, which might not be great for your gold scheme, although I don't know if four for fours are going to be around 
really, once we get to Ivory 2. So right. 3-1 may be more of a thing, but it might give you a reason to play 3-1 instead of 2-2. Or, you know, maybe you just get it because it's free. But it requires you to play with 16 holdings in your deck. So you can't just play with Forgotten Legacy and... Call of the day, yeah. Yeah, and just, just use that to pull out. And you have to remove a fate card in your hand from the game to use it. So there is a cost. All the things being equal, you'd rather just have bunches of gold. But frankly, without four for fours, you need to see a lot of holdings. So Yeah, I mean, you're probably running that anyway. That provision is just in there to stop the Blitz deck. I'm going to run three of these. That's going to be my entire gold. Turn one, one of these. Turn two, two of these. No more gold for the rest of the game. And the other nice thing about that is that it, its value and synergy with your gold scheme will increase if you have a, a three gold situation because you've got like a minus one gold sensei, which could help out those three gold, those minus one gold sensei. So that could be nice. It's a little clunky in that it was kind of nice that they had gotten rid of all the, like the whole turn one search for a holding thing, but. I see where they're going on that. It seems like one of those things where you really have to kind of play with it to actually really get how it's going to work. It's kind of hard to armchair. Yeah. Well, it's hard to armchair correctly. Let's well, just... okay, yes. It's... This is the internet. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, what, that's what do we do on the podcast. Yeah. And then the other mechanical, not mechanical, but the other, I guess it is mechanical thing, but sort of minor mechanical thing, is that if you notice looking at the image of Forgotten Legacy, we're back to having the gold icon in the top right of the holdings. So when you stack your holdings, like so you can see the titles, you can see the gold production at the top. But it's not actually like that used to be back in, in the day because... That's it. That's it. There is... there. I mean, I guess at least for things that just produce what they produce, there is no trait. Presumably there's going to be... There's going to be some sort of text down there if it's like a clan holding, or ooh, maybe the clan holdings are gone. <laughs> I can dream. One can hope, yes. But yeah, or you know, that says two or three if you're paying for a whatever. And that could easily be done. I think that could just be a trait. Like, if you bow this to pay for an X... Produce one more gold. It produces one more gold. Right. Right, so... And you could even mark that like as three star or whatever up on the top. So I think that's a positive because the number up there makes it easier to write. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to just very quickly go through your gold and see what what you've got. Yeah, and uh, then the other stuff, again, it's more of a, you need to see the execution, more emphasis on clan identity, trying to tie each clan's essence to, to the mechanics, more constant and better review of cards during playtesting, rule stability, I... <laughs> I guess it's kind of weird that that's like a feature now. Usually the rules don't change every year, only every two years. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to see how that works out. I mean, I can think of one place, one of the new strongholds I look at where we might be seeing that. I can mention that when I, I think that's there for the, the strongholds. Did you have any any other thoughts on what he said about design? No, not on design, no. Okay. So then the, the new brand manager came back on and talked about interaction. And the first part of this was just, like, paying more attention, having more time and more staff to more promptly 
scour the interwebs for L5R players whining and <laughs> addressing the concerns, noting that they're concerned. Well, I don't know how many of them they really should address. Mine, of course, should always be addressed, but other people's, I don't know. It depends. If there's enough of them, you should address it. Maybe not do what they want. Telling people right, to shut well, up is addressing it, right? Yes, exactly. That's why I said address, not <laughs> deal with it or whatever. It, I, I don't think they'll tell people to shut up. Even though they should, in some cases. Well, as a business, you shouldn't. Okay, true. As a business, you, for the most part, in, in the vast, vast, vast majority of circumstances, you don't want to get in a fight with your customers, even if your customers are completely wrong morons. And are being completely obnoxious. What are they, Walmart? Uh, that their customers are completely obnoxious. No, okay. No, I was just I, I was just describing myself. I've our players as that, but <sighs> except for you, Jay, you, sir, are a scholar and a gentleman. That doesn't sound right. No, actually, you just don't write enough on the internet to to rise to that level of. Uh, yeah, but probably. Is, is this your way of asking for me to write more stuff on the website? Oh, uh, no, no, I, yeah. <laughs> Although you can, yes. I was going to say, see, I, on the other hand, have written plenty on the internet, which definitely puts me on the uh, howling uh, idiot category. So, and, right, that's one of those things. Okay, right, obviously that's good, as long as it execute, it's executed properly. The Digital Herald is finally up and running. Higher risk and reward for the story, like bad things might actually happen. I don't know. We've been like hearing that for so long. Like, yeah, that's so. I mean, I I kind of hope that when they say that and they're bringing the Nabuka back, they actually cut a real faction. No, that's not what they mean. I know that's not what they mean, but I kind of want it to be. Which one? Or just one? I, just one. It. I'm not like. Oh, I really want them to get rid of X Clan. I'm just like that would be amazing if they got rid. I mean, even if it was my clan, if there was a good story and they actually, you know, took a clan out, that would be amazing to me. I think of things like the let's go back to the Destroyer War and the Empire's Glory Mega Game. None of that mattered. Right. All the supposedly horror parade of horribles that were going to happen to clans. Right. right. The lion, quote unquote, sacrificed all their glory for the betterment of the empire, <laughs> and nothing bad happened to them. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing bad happened to anybody. Anyway, as I said, yes. There were two results of that mega game. One, Spider did in fact become a great clan. Shocker. Mm -hmm. The intended result all along. And. Right. They called dibs on the air. Yes. And because of the way the contest was designed, they won the air. I, there you go. That was it for that. Some of that stuff, right, that was even mine. Like, like Shiro Miramoto when it got burned down. Yeah. Which never mattered. Like, all these fortresses got destroyed. And not this, this, is, this has happened repeatedly in L5R. Every time a castle or city is destroyed, except Otis and Uchi, I guess, it just gets rebuilt the next week. Yeah. Even grander and better than before. It, it responds. Yeah. They, re they reboot the server. It restarts exactly the same. They pull it from backup. Something like that, where they destroy the castle, and obviously something still needs to be rebuilt, but not in the same, so that it's like, oh yeah, that was last week. The time jump was part of that. That lets you 
hand wave a little bit, like, okay, you could actually physically rebuild a lot of things. But, I mean, they could have given us a very scarred empire, and they didn't, partially because the story then shifted to not the empire. Right. For two years. Well, I mean, I think that they could have shifted it and then had the occasional, oh, by the way, things really things are really bad back in the Empire, there are still scars there, instead of just, what? What Empire? No, we're all the colonies, there's no Empire over there. <laughs> yes. Well, no, things have changed. The Scorpion have a second festering pit, the total effects of which seem to have been... Winding Tsukimi? Well, that's another thing where there was a war where a bunch of stuff was trashed, and yeah. like that, that basically all happened off-camera for a lot of people, too, because it was only told in the, the rule book with that product. But I was just thinking, like, you have the second festering pit, and these have been the, the side effects of having a gaping hole into hell in the middle of the Scorpion provinces. One, the crab became their best friends. Two, they now have a new way to kill people. It seems to have had no negative effect whatsoever on the Scorpion that there is a pit into hell in the middle of their provinces. Oh, also three... The Scorpion now gets stories of, oh gosh, how hard is this that I've been assigned the horrible duty crud. <laughs> I mean, and I guess, right, the thing with the crab actually is a permanent effect, but not a negative yeah. one. All right, because there's, there's always the perpetual thing with that, which is that we all say, oh yes, there should be big negative effects. And then, you know, we're like, oh, but not to my clan. <laughs> I'll say it then. I would be okay with a big negative effect to my clan, just as long as it's a negative thing that actually sticks, and not just, oh my god, another tide war. It has to be a good story that makes sense. Yes. I'm tired of stuff my clan characters are doing not making sense at the time. Oh, that's right. That was the other thing I was thinking about with interaction and getting involved in the story and surprise. That's actually a place where I want to see less surprise, less hiding what's going on in the story from the players, less, yes, we're doing something with this, but we're not going to tell you about it for two years, less, we don't want to tell you why the characters are actually doing things, because, yes, I'm whining about Shakay and Alicia yes, again. well, uh, understandably so. But I want to know why people are doing things. I don't want to read a fiction and go, what is going on? Why are these people doing this? Why do I care? Right. And in which episode are they going to find the Dragon Balls? Well, that's a different one. I don't... I'm making fun of the way several of the characters have been acting. Oh, I thought... I okay. I, I, no, 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 you were. I thought because I've complained about that to you, but yeah. not on... So, so you know what we're talking about. I don't even remember what the fiction was, exactly. Oh, I, th I thought that was on here. Never, Sorry. I don't know. Maybe it has or it hasn't been. But so, there have been a couple, but the, the worst one that I recall, I think maybe it was the one that had the, it, the sort of interesting thing of being told from the point of view of some random guard, G Samurai or something like that, at the Dragon Embassy. And the other thing I'll note before I, I complain about it is that there were several people on the forums who were like, oh my god, this fiction was so amazing, which made me cry. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, I th it had, like, Renu, I, if I recall correctly, and I might not be, I might be mushing some fictions together, it had Renu and Tagashi Nobru and Daigatsu Kanpeki. The, the worst offenders, yeah. Yeah, they all could have been the same character. They were all just like the 
And then Nobru comes to the room, and he was intense, and he was awesome, and uh, it was so powerful. And then Ken Pecky was in the room, and you could feel the energy crackling off of him, and there was eyes, and his glowing, and they were intensely staring at each other. And then they made out. <laughs> and all of these characters, it's like, oh my god! It's And yes, and Dragon Ball Z is exactly what it reminds me of. I, we're, we're like, you could have an entire episode of the characters just like, screaming at each other as they power up. And right, nothing ever happened with why... why Nobru and Renu never even fought! <laughs> he just went back to the Empire. Uh, I am angry. I am also angry. We should fight. Okay, sometime later. <laughs> I need to go. See ya. Bye. I, <laughs> ah! I, it's such a shame. Ren, Renu, like, Set aside the other two, uh, with, with the exception of Renyu's involvement in that particular thing, I still think that Renyu was such a great character because he was a character who was written so that his own clan, like his player base, liked him. Yeah. And other people thought he was a moron for basically the same reasons. And that was great. Like, that is the best sort of character when you. Because there need to be bad guys of some sort. I, you know, at least a little bit bad guys, because there's got to be antagonists, and and bad guys are, are helpful so that when... Or, or somebody that you perceive as a bad guy in some sense is helpful so that you can then, especially if you're a whiny dragon player, <laughs> because then that gives you an actual reason to uh, be fighting with somebody or, or opposing them. And bad guy can be a very subjective thing. It doesn't mean necessarily morally bad, but just antagonist. Some reason to, to dislike them. And and so if you can have a character that generates that kind of negative emotion in other player bases while having his own player base still be happy about that character, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. But Renu never got a throwdown. Or maybe he is back in the Empire, but back in the Empire, what is his character? It's He's just another family daimyo, one of 30 that we don't even know the names of half of them. Right. It's not like he's going to exploit all the resources of the Empire. No. That was his whole shtick, was I do not care about the colonies. I am going to slash and burn everything over here. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting voice to be had, because I would have expected that to be more prevalent of an attitude on some people's parts of who cares about these colonies these are our minions we're here to get whatever we can who cares about renewability and sustainability let's get everything we can out of this and get back home this place is horrible yeah yeah anyhow again this right this goes back to my story and execution thing you need to have good framers with the story. You need to have good execution with things. You need to, they need to actually produce two fiction. Cause this is one of the things we'll get to when we talk to the new preview cycle. It's like they, they've got to staff up the story team. I yeah. mean, right. The biggest oh, yeah. problem with the story right now is that it isn't there because it's just Sean. Right. Well, it's, it's Sean and spooky and spooky is pretty much solely dedicated to the novel at this point. Right. Well, there are other people. I mean, Spooky, obviously, is on the story team, but he's working on the novel full-time, basically. Fred is on the story team, but he doesn't write fictions. 
Hobart is on the story team, but also doesn't write fictions. Right, he's RPG. Oh, oh yeah, but I mean, the story team does other things like flavor text uh, and such. Uh, I think Yoon might still technically be on the story team, but first thing he had written in a while was the the part one of the coming storm and that never even got finished so i didn't even realize he was still on the story team when when the coming storm part one came out right yeah so it's just just sean i mean the guy can only write so much because he's you know doing this and running his own rpg company now and has a actual day job and so i'm hoping that they get that up but maybe the clan fictions for the previews for the new order will be like a big debut of new story team people. And they are supposed to staff up. I don't know if that's the same thing because they don't pay the story team, but anyhow, that's interaction. So before we get to the new preview cycles and 20 festivals, was there anything that you wanted to talk about in all that mess of stuff that they talked about that I left out? So Zinzer did, in fact, say there is a chance for the Rattling to come back. Oh, he did? Oh, did you miss that? I must have just blanked that out as a bad I, I, dream. I'm, I'm mostly joking. It was something like, it was in the Q&A section. Somebody was like, can the Rattling come back? And Zinzer was something to the effect of, well, if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have said no. But I suppose since we're being so open, if there's a serious push for it, we would look into it. Or something like that. Which is a polite way of saying no. <laughs> but I, I, of course, had to make the joke, so you're saying there's a chance. Yes, you're saying there's a chance. Uh, yeah, that is... You know, I was trying to think, what, what would be at the top of my list of factions to come back? Because I know it would not be Rattlings, but... Other than, like, Shadowlands Horde, I'm not sure if... Maybe, like, an Imperial or Ronin faction... Mm-hmm. I guess I'd rather see both of those. So that's three factions I'd rather see than Rattlings. <laughs> a minor clan alliance faction. That hasn't even existed yet. I'd rather see that than Rattlings. I would rather see a Rattling, the Rattlings come back than Spirits, probably. Because I don't know how that would make any sense. Yeah. You could have the opposite of the old Rattling strongholds. Like, you used to be about swarms and swarms and swarms of Rattlings, and now since there are so few Rattlings... Your stronghold could have text that says, like, at the end of each of your turns, destroy a rattling you control, as you are unable to sustain your population. You have uh, zero province strength in five provinces. Oh, wait, that's going into spider now. Also, or that's spirit. Spirit, spirit, sorry. Wrong SP action. You have three provinces, but instead of 13 province strength, they're three province strength. Yeah. Welcome to the new world order of, of rattlings. <laughs> I would still play that. Yes, you would. The kind of problem with things like that, which is how we ended up with the Rattling faction in the first place, is that when you have deliberately not viable strongholds like that, there are always people who think that they should be viable and then complain about how they aren't. Yeah. Okay. And this is future Chris stepping in to end this episode because we're going to split the 20 festivals in half. In the next episode, you'll hear us talk about the new way that they are going to be doing previews, starting with the new order, and then with the strongholds from 20 festivals that were previewed on the Imperial Assembly website. 
until then, you can visit us at strangeassembly.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're at iTunes, you can also leave us a review or rating. That helps other people find the podcast. You can find us on Twitter where we're at Strange Assembly, or you can email me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. Until then, for J. Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.